So hi, Matthias. Uh, welcome back. Hi. Hi, Adam. Thank you for inviting me. So today, we'll move away a little bit of uh, Cumulus EE and Java EE and focus more on API Gateway. And Cumulus EE is just one part of our digital platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Cumulus digital platform is more than just the microservice uh, framework. Uh, the Cumulus EE, the microservice framework, is the open source part, mm-hmm. free to use and so on. But we have developed some other parts uh, one of them is Cumulus API, uh, which is a, well, an API management uh, platform, uh, which consists of an API gateway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a, a management uh, uh, part and what we call the API marketplace, which is sort of, uh, well, let's say an advanced developer portal. Uh, and then we have some other parts of the Cumulus platform. One is the integration part, where we uh, focus on using uh, CDC, uh, mm-hmm. change data capture integrations. Mm-hmm. And the other important part are the Cumulus business APIs. Uh, the Cumulus business APIs are, well, uh, the, 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 actually the, the APIs that are used for uh, setting up a digital platform and we use this with clients who have decided to develop some digital services, so digital products, digital services, mobile apps, web applications, and so on. Mm-hmm. And basically what we focus on are is, is the om- omni-channel architecture. So we have put a lot of effort in designing the whole stack particularly the business APIs and everything we need in, in a way that uh, uh, we can set up an omni-channel architecture where we can actually uh, support all the different uh, digital and also physical channels. Uh, for example, if we would have a retailer, for example, then this retailer can then use these uh, APIs, which are implemented as microservices, of course. Uh, they can use them. Uh, for all the channels, so should it be a web shop or, or physical store or, or whatever, whatever channel they implement. Okay, and uh, there is of course Cumulus crowd crowd sensing as well. Uh, yeah, there is a Cumulus crowd sensing. This is another product that we that is currently in the development. We are basically finishing the development, and the crowd sensing platform. Uh, 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 takes uh, over all the responsibilities of customer engagement. So basically, we can collect all this uh, data regarding uh, what uh, customer wants, what products does he look on the web page, on the mobile application, uh, which stores has he visited. Uh, actually, it's, well... It's a product which has quite a, uh, several use cases. We are currently implementing a use case with uh, m- m- with mobile, so electrical vehicles charging. Okay. And this project is interesting because we have used our Cumulus crowd sensing platform in a way in a, where we actually uh, not only uh, provide the location of the charging stations and and information whether the charging station is available and so on uh, we also estimate the uh, uh, the um, 
battery charge, so state of charge of the batteries in oh. the in the electrical vehicles, but not in a way where we would need to interface with each separate car. But we do this uh, based on our crowd sending platform, which enables through the mobile app that we monitor the the driving. So basically that we monitor whether somebody has driven a car and what destination he has driven and what speed and so on. And based on that, we can calculate, so approximate the, the state of charge. And based on this information, actually, we can estimate when a user will want to charge the car. Uh, this is actually great. This sounds also very complex to build, actually. Uh, well, it's quite complex, yeah. We are, we are, it's still a project in progress, yeah. Well, it, it is complex, but it's not that complex, to, to be honest. We, we, we have uh, developed for a few years the technology for using the inertial sensors in the mobile devices so that we can capture the inertial sensors movement. And based on this, uh, we can calculate various things. So one of them is to, to know whether somebody is driving a car, what speed uh, he is driving. And then also if we add the location, we can, uh, we can see whether this is, uh, for example, driving in the city or whether it's a highway and so on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, combining all those data can, uh, uh, give us those results, which are, well, which, which turned out, because basically the, the first attempt was to interface with various cars and to get all this data. So the, the, the state of charge of the battery and all those data from the car itself. But it turned out that this is very, very complex and that the vendors don't allow you to, to exactly. interface with, with different vehicles. Mm-hmm. And this can then be quite a problem if you, for example, if you don't know what the state of charge is and so on and how to collect those data. This is like a research project or one for your clients? Uh, well, this is, uh, this is an innovation project. It is partly founded, uh, by the, by the, uh, uh, structural funds. So uh, it's okay. called the Edison project. Uh, but it's really interesting. Yeah. There are several partners which which plan to use this in well as their operating production system this is somehow similar to those horizon 2020 research projects you know which which are funded for the first research part but then to develop the product that it's market ready uh, you need to put some additional effort into it yeah Okay, and it's also great because uh, you know uh, you have the data, so you can run some experiments with machine learning or whatever, right? Right, and we we actually use machine learning uh, for 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 estimating the state of charge based on the distance traveled and the pattern how the user is driving the car and so on. Mm-hmm. And behind this is our, our actually our, our microservices. Uh, so what we use is the Cumulus E. Uh, framework, uh, it's our API management system. Well, the, the whole system is set up on the open source projects and the backend is Java based. This is, this is maybe an interesting information. Yeah, this is what I wanted to ask you. Not that you know, uh, uh, talking for for one hour and turns out this is some a visual basic or something, you know. No, no, yeah, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Uh, okay, um, and yeah, a link would be great to show notes. What's the project called? Edison. Edison, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And every, the entire backend is Java and uh, 
Cumulus, then of course also MicroProfile, right? The the complete backend is Java MicroProfile, yeah, that's right. Cumulus EE, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, uh, everything is built in a cloud-native way. This is probably important. Mm -hmm. uh, so all those microservices, uh, stateless, all those cloud-native patterns, this is one of the projects where we really worked hard to introduce all the different patterns. So, for example, we use a central configuration. Mm -hmm. So this uh, uh, actually, uh, I don't know if we already talked about this, but in the Cumulus EE framework, we have gone a little bit further with the configuration framework. Mm -hmm. So not only configuration files and environment variables, but we also support uh, uh, ECTD or console as central configuration servers where microservices can store the configuration. Uh, so basically centrally, yeah. We are, we are using a discovery, a service discovery functionality. Mm -hmm. uh, we implement all the fault tolerance patterns. And those fault tolerance patterns are also part of the micro profile. Mm -hmm. uh, the service discovery, however, is not. Yeah. Uh, so basically, uh, service discovery allows us uh, to uh, relate to different microservices based on their logical names, not on the URL locations which turns out to be quite good, uh, you know, because you can do various things. You can do uh, client-side load balancing. You can do client-side uh, proxy, uh, so traffic proxying. So instead of having a central API gateway, you can collect the information about the traffic between the microservices from each, from each client where you implement a small proxy on the client side. And then this proxy not only does the client side load balancing, mm -hmm. but also collect some information, uh, regarding the, the traffic of the, of the microservice, uh, sort of partial API gateway functionality. Oh, oh, almost like a service mesh sounds to me. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, a little similar, but we didn't want to go into, well, we, we, we have some established products for service mesh such as Istio. Uh, and, uh, this is something, uh, well, we, we, we put some effort to not to, um, uh, not to come, so not to have the same functionalities. You are actually a terrible conversation partner because my plan was to talk about API gateway. And today you came out, you know, with something more interesting, like, you know, uh, machine learning, charging cars or something. So this is always, you know, uh, it's always, uh, if I try, you know, to, to pick one topic, you come with three new topics, which are more interesting. But uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, even more interesting, because um, so the last time we stopped, you know, talking about uh, Cumulus API, which is the API gateway. So I, I would like to reinvite you back because there's no more time left. And just to talk about the, the API gateway part. And if there is time, we can cover other topics. But uh, first, the, the, the API gateway, is it uh, a standalone uh, a proxy which runs on Cumulus, which is Java-based, or what is it? Well, actually, uh, our Cumulus API has uh, quite a long uh, way. Uh, we, we started the development some seven or eight years ago. Uh, and we started with the classical architecture, so having a standalone API gateway and having a management platform and then having an API marketplace platform where you can publish all the different APIs for different 
uh, parties, you know, for some third party users who can get familiar with the APIs, start using it in a sandbox and then apply uh so for 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 access and then all all the procedures what what we cover are also all the procedures how uh, you can uh, uh apply for using an api so sometimes you need to sign a contract or something like that mm-hmm. however in the last uh, time we have uh, uh we have focused on developing a new so to say a new generation of the api gateway and here we have gone maybe a similar way as some other uh, uh, some other teams who have started to develop the Kubernetes native API gateways. However, we have separated some of the concerns. Uh, so uh, uh, some of the functionality is still in the API gateway, which is uh, implemented as a uh, uh, part of the, as an extension of the Kubernetes ingress controller. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some part of the functionality we are moving into the client actually. Mm -hmm. So this is, and this is where uh, these functionalities connect with uh, uh, service discovery, which I briefly mentioned before, Mm -hmm. and with some other with some other functionality. So let, let, let me just try to, 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 to explain, to understand uh, what, uh, what I'm trying to say. So basically an API gateway offers some functionalities such as, uh, uh security. So authentication, rate limiting, logging. Uh, it could be also audit logging and some other functionalities. Now, uh, the traditional approach would be to have a central API gateway. Probably you would have a few of them, some for external traffic, some for internal traffic, and so on. This is this is the traditional uh, uh, setup. However, in the Kubernetes, this traditional uh, uh, architecture maybe doesn't uh, fit as well as if uh, you would implement the API gateway uh, as a part of the ingress controller, mm-hmm. which which is well known. Yeah. However, we are trying to make another step because uh, we we know that in the service mesh, um, in the service mesh, we get this sidecar concept, uh, and the sidecar takes over some of the responsibilities of service-to-service communication. You can. You can, for example, define uh, some fault tolerant patterns such as retries or or, or fallbacks and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other part are the proxies through which the communication between the services is managed, such as Envoy proxy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, we were thinking, what if we would put some of this functionality into the into the uh, uh, client? So. Um, what we what we are currently trying to do and experimenting with is extending the so for, for example if you take a rest client and the proxy that the rest client creates for calling e- external apis what if would so we are extending this proxy and this proxy collects and manages the traffic to the apis from the client itself and then collects the data centrally um 
this is one part and it simplifies the, the deployment topology. It, it considerably simplifies the deployment topology because you don't need to have a central API gateway anymore. And it all, it also fits better into the Kubernetes environment because, you know, if you have the communication within the ports or, or external communication, you can handle the routes better. Um, on the other hand, it also provides, or, or well, it provides easier implementation of some uh, concepts that we are also uh, working very hard on them. And this is how to integrate the API gateway with, uh, particularly with fault tolerance. So, for example, if we have circuit breakers or if we have uh, uh, fallbacks and retries and so on, the API gateway should be aware of them. For example, if the if the, uh, if a circuit breaker uh, kicks in, then it is good that the API gateway knows that the traffic to a certain instance of the APIs of the microservice doesn't work anymore, and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, and I could say the same for all the other uh, uh, fault tolerance patterns. And now the the challenge here is how to integrate all those mechanisms. So. Uh, that, for example, uh, if the API gateway is aware of horizontal port autoscaler in the Kubernetes and knows that the service is scaling, uh, and then if there is a circuit breaker which kicks in for a certain instance that the API gateway knows this uh, well from the start and that all this data is interconnected on one hand. On the other hand, that you don't introduce too much um, overhead with with the configuration with everything else and w what i mean with configuration is that you don't well uh, if you have to configure each and every microservice how which api gateway will be used and so on and what we are doing here is trying to make this configuration as simple as possible and if you have worked with Istio or some other service mesh, you probably know what I'm trying to say. Because uh, uh, if you have several microservices or APIs in the in the architecture, the configuration becomes quite complex. Yeah, and um, I'm also using API gateways a lot for a different reasons. So this is what I wanted to talk with you. What's what's your opinion? Because uh, I'm using this in on Asia and uh, a bit more on AWS right now for different reasons. And um, how this feels like uh, it, 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 the API gateways on F, on AWS is uh, is is just there, is serverless, so it's distributed, so it's not like you have to install. It's like a fully managed AWS service. But if you use it, it feels like it is a small wrapper around your service, so it feels decentralized. So actually, with one line Java code, you can install the gateway. And uh, now is the interesting part why we use the gateway. And um, so the most common use case is to have um, um, OpenID Connect integration with external resource. This is the job of the gateway usually. It's uh, way easier because the authentication happens outside. Then uh, SSL, of course, certificates. Also, uh, this is a classic one. Uh, and then some more interesting cases. So in one case, we'll use uh, the API gateway to limit the, um, the IP ranges from where you know the client is able to access this this is one use case current and the other one is rate limiting 
and this comes more and more that we are so now per client there's only five calls allowed per day. So and this is the first use case I saw. So I would say in the recent years I got lots of requests about API gateways and I asked them why you would like to know it and there was no 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 answer, right? So it's like API gateways were fashionable but no one knew why. So this was this for health checks and uh, routing it usually happens in my projects either on DNS level. This is uh, one earlier because uh, you can have a DNS uh, uh, policies or one deeper on the um, load balancer level. But um, I'm using less Kubernetes and more like uh, ready-to-use uh, um, services. But uh, interestingly, on AWS and Azure, it's a similar, similar architecture. And, um, and this is why uh, I was interested what the killer use cases are. And uh, what I also, the problem with uh, fallbacks and retries, so we had the uh, conversations recently in um, in projects. So I, I tend to do this still on the uh, inside the microservice. And the reason is because we have more insight into the application state. So um, what I can do, I can say in case the external service is not available, and uh, I, I tried already you now three times, and my the state of the domain object is this and this, and the database is in this state. I will do it or not. And uh, if you do it from the outside, the API gateway or the proxy, this is just a proxy, they only see the traffic. They have no insight into your application state. So, and therefore, uh, what I what you could do, but the others cannot, you, because you are providing all the products. You could actually ask your microservices, for instance, um, microprofimetrics, uh, via uh, via gauge or let's say counter, and, and and ask them, you know, or 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 be more specific, just you know, expose additional metric API, and ask the microservice, uh, should I reroute the traffic now or not? You know what I mean? So uh, your your API proxy could get additional insight. By calling the your microservice over, I would say not existing yet standard and ask you know should I do it or not? So like extending the fault tolerance for micro profiles so or the fault tolerance in micro profile, we just suggest you should retry, and the retry happens on the API gateway level. So this is what is lacking because I saw all the attempts to you know to expose everything to API gateway or service mesh. For me, it is very. Uh, my question then is why we didn't did this uh, uh, no twenty years ago because the API, uh, Apache web server was always in front of web web logic or, or or JBoss or Glassfish. We could implement retry on everything on Apache level, but it was impossible because there no no idea what's going on internally. So why twenty years later we we renamed you know the Apache to Istio and now it's possible? It is still not possible. And all the conversations with projects, I saw that this actually, it was a nice try, but I never saw, saw it working because, uh, and then of course, you have you have split configuration problem. You have some retries on the application level on some retries on the service mesh level, which are a mess to start, uh, to, to test actually. Yeah, that, that's, that's where I fully agree with you. Actually, you just gave me a very good idea and actually... What we are working on is not so different from what you are saying. It's just that uh, you have added another layer on it. So having a standard protocol um, 
where an API gateway or whatever layer you have over your microservices would be notified about the fault tolerance mechanisms that kick in on the microservice level or in service mesh, whatever, this would really make a difference. Yeah, and you could extend yeah. the microprofile, no? Because you are yeah, already... That's so right, it, it, it that's right be. yeah. Mm -hmm. Because this is really lacking and missing, and um, and and this would improve the situation a lot, uh, or make you know the service meshes and API gateways a little bit smarter. Yeah, and th th this is actually what what we are currently working on, because we have what we have uh, figured out uh, through our experience on the projects is that the API gateway has to have some knowledge about what's happening on the fault tolerance layer. Exactly. So if if you do a retry. The API gateway should know that this is a retry, not just another call. If it's a fallback, the API gateway should also know that this is a fallback for for this initial call, which didn't succeed, not that it treats it like just another uh, uh, call and doesn't have any correlation between them and so on. Yeah. Uh, and basically, yeah. Uh, extending the micro profile and, and, and defining a protocol, how this communication could work, that, that would be, I think, a major step forward. Uh, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And yeah. is your API gateway implemented in Java or with something native? In Java, yeah. Yeah, it's this is Java. actually great because we could have, you know, the first micro profile native or micro profile aware API gateway. Because the, yeah, of course. Because the yeah. other ones, you know, this is like, for me, a little bit boring. I would say they are just, you know, monitoring the traffic and okay. I mean, this is like, you know, proxy server, basically what, what we had all the time. But if you say, okay, now we focus on Java, uh, then we can do more. Because you already know, you know, uh, micro profile then you can support Cumulus out of the box, but also you could some support Quarkus, Helidon, Payara, Whitefly, Open Liberty, and all the other projects, which right. is a huge market. And, and you are actually an open source uh, project. So this could be, you know, an interesting way to, uh, to, to collaborate with the others, but maybe some, I know, uh, there are enterprise projects would pay for the services just in order to get the patches right and everything. So, so now you, you would be in great time. So if you extend you know, above cumulus. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Cause you know, well, there, there is more, I think also the health check status, you know, yeah. currently it's like that, that for example, Kubernetes checks, does the health check. So this liveness and readiness probes, but once your service is down, the, there are other components in the system. For example, the API gateway should be aware of them. Mm -hmm. that the service is down. If you are using a service discovery, then the service discovery should also, uh, uh, well, uh, 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 get this information. And uh, currently, there is no integration between those uh, building blocks, or how should I say, mm -hmm. yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, and having such a protocol would really allow all these different parts of the microservice architecture to integrate, which, which would make sense, yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, which, would, which, would uh, which would make it easier to implement some scenarios because, you know, these are the scenarios related to the, to the resilience and reliability. But there are other scenarios, for example, um, 
what we are also uh, working hard on is how to support the canary release process in the microservice and API architecture. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you had some experience with that? Uh, yeah. Uh, the uh, canary re- releases or uh, AB deployments, this is where you are shifting the traffic right. regarding to this. This is usually the job of the load balancer. So in your case, you don't have the load balancer. So I'm talking about uh, clouds again. So uh, right, right. And uh, what uh, usually happens, uh, I do, for instance, uh, ECS Fargate. This is like the classic one, or uh, AWS Lambda. So what uh, what what um, what you would do is there are different different ways to 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 tackle this, but. Um, so there are uh, Docker container tasks, uh, and the Docker uh, container tasks are part of a service, and the service uh, says, okay, we need four CPUs and stuff like that, and the tasks are versioned. And uh, this is behind, this is a part of a cluster, and now uh, for the cluster, there is a load balancer. And okay. uh, what, you, what you can do, you can have at deployment time, so if you deploy the service, you can choose different strategies. And uh, one of them is Canary or AB strategy. And, uh, or the default, if you do nothing, what will happen is um, you deploy a new Docker container, and if the Docker container is healthy, it will get the traffic, and the other one will just disappear after a while. But uh, you can say, okay, uh, 10% of the, of the uh, traffic gets the new version, and the remaining is the 90% is the other version. And this is the job usually of the load balancer because uh, it switches the traffic then to the to the next one. But this happens behind the API gateway in the cloud. So the API gateway it. is just you know is like the uh, I would say it like like uh, servlet proxy more or less. Whatever you can do uh, in the in a servlet uh, servlet uh, filter or you know in in an aspect like. Uh, um, yeah, the classic one is authentication, authorization, auditing, and um, and uh, uh, multi-versioning. So uh, version-depending routing, different stages, prod, dev, uh, and test. And uh, this happens on the API gateway. And uh, the the load balancing on routing happens uh, one later, usually. Of course, you could combine does, this because you could say, you know, uh, there is a new version of the API gateway. But API gateway is more like... Um, it is about keeping the URI stable. It's not about you know uh, switching between versions. I would say so. The API gateway is more like if I have version number one, route the traffic to this service, and uh, and and this service could be canary release or not. So I would say the um, API gateway is uh, similar to like you know the super load balancer, which could even switch the traffic between clusters. Well, there, there, there are several aspects, yeah, yeah. And uh, what you described, definitely, this is the current architecture. But you know, w- what bothers me is that this architecture is quite complex. This is one thing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so wh- wh- why do you need an API gateway and then a load balancer and then if you have a Kubernetes, you get this? For example, if you expose it as a service, you have another load balancer then in the Kubernetes uh, cluster and so on. Uh, th- this is one aspect. The other aspect, if, if I go back to the canary release, for example, if you deploy a new version and route some part of the traffic, some 10% of the traffic to the new version, and then some exceptions start to emerge, and then probably you will, you will, uh, uh, have a situation where a circuit breaker kicks in. Mm-hmm. Now, how would, 
the load balancer or the API gateway and the API gateway, doesn't matter, how would they know immediately that the circuit breaker for the new version has kicked on and they, they, that they shouldn't route the traffic there anymore and so on. So these are all the integrations that I think are required and are currently, well, uh, difficult to implement, even if you are using the stack, the one stack, so a single vendor stack, or how to say uh, it's difficult to implement. If you would like to, to combine some components yeah, from different only, stacks, it's... Only yeah. because uh, what I described you right now is Java agnostic. So this, is, this could be any container workload. So if you say uh, we can do Java and we focus on microprofile, so we can do more, uh, a lot That's more. Right. So you just ask me you now what 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 we are doing on 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 uh, on AWS or Azure. So if you um, if you just focus on Java, I would even ignore Kubernetes because if you think about if you think about a JBoss back then, so what they had were smart proxies, and what the EJBs did in smart proxies, uh, they had so called cluster view. So uh, they uh, every few seconds they, they 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 pulled the state of the cluster and they knew where to route the traffic and you had to say you know is it uh, item potent service or not if the service was item potent he uh, the smart proxy automatically did retrace for you so this was like you know the classic architecture for fifteen years and now almost forgotten but now you can do something again exactly what they did before over uh, more standard protocols no no more over RMI rather than uh, REST. And if you know that it's microprofiles, you can skip everything altogether, what I told you right now, because uh, we can provide more specific and more usable solution, right? So it's no more, right. so we can skip the, all the generic part. But uh, Kubernetes doesn't matter. So um, uh, it is like if you, if you say, okay, we are in Java now, we can do a lot more. And uh, the smart stuff from uh, smart proxy from, from Whitefly could be a smart uh, microprofile REST proxy, actually. Right. 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 Yeah, certainly. And well, there, there are then some other aspects, for example, <clears throat> probably where our views differ a little bit. Uh, and that's probably also because of the types of the projects that we are working on. For example, in the most projects, what we are trying to achieve is to create an architecture, which is cloud vendor agnostic. So, in uh, we 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 don't use in many projects uh, so the the the, the AWS or Azure uh, API gateway because uh, in most cases uh, we have a requirement that the project can be deployed on whatever cloud without any any you know uh, using some specific infrastructure of the cloud provider. And this brings us then to another situation where you don't want to use those services provided but by the by the cloud vendor, but you want to use some uh, uh, built-in services. And if if you if you consider this requirement, then it probably uh, becomes even more obvious why I was talking about simplifying the architecture. Because in such in such scenarios, you want to have a controllable uh, number of of layers or infrastructure components that you would like to deploy. Mm -hmm. But uh, let's talk about uh, portability because this is also my thing. And um, so Kubernetes, 
there are projects which would like to go to the cloud. So, okay, fine. Why you would like to do it? Some projects have uh, two reasons, like, you know, disaster recovery, multi multiple data centers availability and stuff like that. Others have security reasons. Everything has to be encrypted and in the clouds is easier than on-premise, surprisingly. So I would say clouds are more, more security, most data centers. This is this is truth. And the others just uh, management decided, you know, to go to the cloud and no one knows why. So, but if you if you run on premise i would say kubernetes is a must because um, i would i would say something like kubernetes uh, openshift or rancher or 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 is is just great i would say on premise there there is no no uh, okay i am in some project where are small enough that we just run docker behind H, uh, nginx but this is a this is works perfectly this is also a highly, highly available project but this is only one yes, yes. project inside a company right but if you, if you get more containers you need something which starts and stops the containers and such starting and stopping is not a problem the problem are the ports it manages the the network i would say this is this is the huge part of kubernetes and uh, if you go to the cloud now what many projects are thinking about to moving the kubernetes stack to the cloud and this is not the right choice. This is my opinion. So, uh, but this is uh, I'm. Uh, you have to do it to to explain it to managers. Why not? Because Kubernetes is fairly new, and all the cloud providers they already had the uh, the Docker management solutions, and the Docker management solution from AWS or from Asia is actually way simpler than Kubernetes. So, you know, to port, to have uh, something on the cloud which starts and stops uh, Docker containers in both clouds, mm -hmm. maybe I need, you know, 40 lines of JSON and I'm done. So if I would like to go just to AWS uh, without Kubernetes, it is going to be cheaper, easier, everything, and to Asia the same. So um, this is the first, you know, it is not worth to uh, to just, you know, run our generic uh, micro-profile applications on Kubernetes to be portable because... Um, I I I I I am able to port faster an AWS Fargate application to ACI or Asia App App Container Service App Service or whatever it's called on Asia, than from Kubernetes to Kubernetes. The next problem is in the cloud. So Kubernetes has everything self how to call it self-contained. So it has own user management, old old security management. If you move Kubernetes to AWS you have to do it twice, actually. So you have, you know, the IAM users on AWS and the Kubernetes users. And in a project, if you go in, you do it in a project, I already saw in the code reviews problems where developers weren't able to do that. So they run the Kubernetes on AWS with their own hard-coded credentials to get, you know, access to the cloud. So it could even happen that the Kubernetes on uh, AWS or Asia is less secure than the native service because it is not uh, configured correctly. And the last thing is, it is way more expensive. So uh, Kubernetes on cloud is way more expensive because you have to pay for the control plane all the time. And uh, if you do the math, so I was in lots of projects where we moved out from Kubernetes to just Docker because there was no added value of Kubernetes on on a larger cloud. So um, this is the, uh, I would say, the uh, if you would like to go to one cloud vendor, so uh, I, would, I wouldn't use Kubernetes. As a product, in your case, if you say, okay, we have a project which has to run everywhere, this is a different story. But even then, I would even think about you know, uh, using some more native services because they are very easier and way uh, nicer integrated to the cloud than Kubernetes because Kubernetes is more like, you know, I would run 
a virtual machine from uh, uh, on on AWS and say now I'm a cloud native. This is like you know complete an own ecosystem inside an ecosystem on top of another eco ecosystem. So this is my observation of Kubernetes, and I have to say. In the recent years, um, we migrated a lot of projects away from Kubernetes to cloud-native services, and they were cheaper. Another thing about proprietary stuff, um, maybe an uh, interesting point, something is lacking, um, namely Cumulus functions. What you could do, and then you need API Gateway. It is fairly easy, and this is almost done. Um, yeah. You could actually um, write a small uh, Cumulus service which listens to HTTP events and translates them to JAXRS. And then you can integrate as a, as, as a microprofile app, Cumulus microprofile app, and all your services as functions. And now we are talking because with Java, you are outperforming Python and JavaScript. So you save actively money, and this is that simple. It looks like a microprofile application, Cumulus application, and the thing to do for you is just to interpret HTTP events from the cloud. And this is actually already done for AWS. There is a proof of concept, or proof of concept is called uh, serverless containers, and uh, they already have a jersey solution. So your job will be just you know, translate to whatever you're using and, and invoke your cumulus. But then um, we were in uh, migration projects where we migrated Java E app to AWS Lambda function, and it costs, you know, like pennies a month. So almost nothing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I would say, if you not consider this, um, you you are missing out a lot. So um, and the cum cumulus function is like a no vacation tip for you. So um, actually, do it. And this is like, um, of course, you are going to be a little bit depending on 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 um, AWS API gateway, or I think it's called uh, uh, Asia Event Bus um, uh, on on Asia. But the dependency in both cases is a one liner. So I'm saying on AWS, I need an event bus and a passing a function. By the way, in Java, this is the, my only dependency. And of course, I'm depending on AWS. But if I, I have the same line of code, you know, on Asia, so I don't care about the effort. And then you could be integrated. And by the way, such an API gateway proxy or whatever could be a Lambda or Asia function. And uh, this is completely out of Kubernetes. And I do a lot of work here. And... Uh, because in the cloud, what I see already coming is, you know, cost-driven development. So everyone would like to have Kubernetes, but no one is aware of the costs. And I, I, see, I hear it will explode. I'm pretty sure next year or, or uh, 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 a year after. I did some code reviews this year. And uh, clients say, okay, our hope is going to be cheaper. And they already did some calculations like single Kubernetes cluster mid-range costs 2,000 euro a month, which, uh, uh, which is... Uh, I mean, with that, uh, the largest Fargate cluster is 200 euros a month. And this is the largest, you know. So this is a complete different dimension. And this is what I also wanted. I, I get you. So you have, you know, sometimes there's no discussion. So you have just to do it. This is also my project. You know? Some of my clients have said, you have to use, you know, Kubernetes, period. Okay, so okay, there is no discussion. I will use it. But this is like, you know, uh, back then we had to write deployment descriptors with XML files. Uh, so, okay, if you pay me for this, I could do this, but not for long. You gave me a very interesting point to think about it. Actually, uh, what I completely agree with you is that Kubernetes is expensive. It's more expensive to, 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 to operate, yeah. That, that's really true. Uh, and, well... Uh, we definitely have to consider those ideas. Yeah, they 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 really sound interesting. Because so far we have been quite 
focused on Kubernetes and well, uh, to be honest, uh, in my opinion, Kubernetes uh, with the ability to configure the application once and then run it whether on premise or in the cloud, it has some of this uh, or it reminds me of this uh, Java initial stuff, you know, uh, write once, yeah, run anywhere exactly. if you still can remember. And from our experience, actually, this works uh, very well on Kubernetes. We have quite many projects where we have demonstrated that we can deploy the, the, exactly the same uh, uh, service or application. And it's not only one microservice or one API. These are some complex solutions that we can deploy this on whatever Kubernetes, whether in Azure on, or Amazon or, or Google or on-premise uh, without any change in the code or in the or just minimal changes in the configuration, uh, which uh, which is quite nice. But what, what definitely is true is that Kubernetes is not cheap to, to, to operate and to run, yeah. And the next problem I see um, yeah. is with Kubernetes, um, you have two APIs. And this already starts, you know, to be more and more problematic. Uh, usually you would use Helm charts or something similar or a template templating language, which generates, you know, the deployment descriptors for Kubernetes. But right. you still have the cloud API as well. And the uh, cloud API as well uh, is, is way more convenient and fully it could be fully automated. So if you would run a larger project on Kubernetes, you will have you need a solution for the uh, for the uh, let's say AWS or Asia API management plus you still have to maintain the Helm charts and uh, the, the, the the Helm charts and the YAMLs they are huge. If you compare it, you know, to my uh, AWS uh, Fargate or Azure functions, we are talking about 40 lines of JSON, maybe. Uh, and, and they are obvious, the contents. So there's a container image, port number, then uh, your environment, your secrets, and you are done. So, yeah, I think and if, if you yeah, have... Yeah, you know, they are huge. Yeah. I completely agree. And this is also why we started this conversation. That's why we are moving the API gateway into the Kubernetes and into the REST clients, so we, we are separating those uh, uh, responsibilities so that it there is no more need to configure external uh, API gateway for sub-solutions, for example. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah you see, this is uh, where it's going. And I, um, I think for you it's a right product strategy, Kubernetes, because it is hard to explain to a non-non- uh, developer, what I said, right? If you go to, to, to a manager and say, uh, we will use proprietary AWS and the proprietary Azure features, they, they are already thinking in migration projects. But the truth is the source code is the same. And we are just talking, adjusting, you know, minor uh, minor configuration. And, and, and my impression is like AWS was the first and the others try to copy, you know, the AWS APIs or, or, or services, sorry, not API services. Which is good for us because uh, everything is similar. So if you know, you know the AWS product, you can map it always to the other cloud provider. So this is not like they are completely different. They are similar. They have similar offerings with similar APIs and with similar costs even. And uh, but uh, take a look at the at the function part because the serverless part is really this from my perspective the the future, and um, and I tell you also why it is the future and uh, because of the billing. What I see the next is um, in enterprise projects, if you run Kubernetes, 
we always get, you know, the questions regarding sizing. Do we have one Kubernetes, two, which sizing or whatever? And this is hard to explain, you know, where the where the money is gone, you know, because uh, to, to make it right, the Kubernetes cluster has to run on 100% capacity or 90% and uh, and it's always a little bit over-provisioned. So right. with over, always, yeah, and you you need this worker node and master nodes yeah. and so on, and you pay for all this. Yeah, yeah. this is true. And this I, I true, and, and I have no problem with point. that, not at all, yeah. because I say it is still cheaper yeah. to over provision the cluster than you know to to over over provision developers because they will have a premature optimization is always more expensive than over provisioned cluster. But I have to explain it in every meeting, and uh, and this is uh, this is you no know, discussion like. Uh, why and 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 so forth if you use serverless you change completely the discussion because now you pay per, per api call yes. and now you can now now you go to product management and say look uh, we called you know your this use case 1 million times and this is the bill if you if you earn some money with this it's okay if not we can deactivate the use case you know and and now you know the product managers are in charge to think uh, actually is it worse is the margin high enough you know to support that and then you know so, say even if one api call calls a, a 1 euro but they are earning 2 euros no one has a problem with it so everything becomes transparent and at the end of the month what we can do right we can optimize the cost just by looking at the dollars we say okay this function is very expensive Let's optimize that. And uh, back then, I always said, no, esoteric discussion, Java is too bloated, too expensive. It's like, what are you talking about? Uh, where? Give me the numbers. There were never numbers. And the first time in the history, we get the numbers. And if I show this to management with the serverless, it always wins. Because the first time in the history, sure. you know, they yeah. have they build a, a very detailed, detailed list, what costs what, and uh, this is what they want to have. If something's too expensive, yeah, to come back to the architects, like why we pay so much for, I don't know, for the service. And this can be your traffic, this can be whatever, API calls, so we have to optimize something. And this is complete different reasonable discussion, right? Because then they will see Java becomes more, uh, is cheaper to run than uh, JavaScript or Python because the 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 you know, the, uh, the calls are shorter. So everything becomes, you know, uh, more transparent. This is why I like the new approach, or I like, I have to spend less time in meetings. Uh, this function approach is actually the so the, the the serverless approach is really something which is which is very interesting. Yeah. So you think that, that Kubernetes doesn't have a bright future in that sense, so that the majority of the development will shift to the to the proprietary cloud. Uh, serverless or function environments in the near future because of the cost because you know what really uh, holds true is that there is a order of magnitude difference in the costs yeah yeah this is yeah. the true and um i would say at, at least in in you in, in, in i spend my time uh, austria germany switzerland so the perception is in this project we will save money and if I do the uh, and for unknown reasons, no one fires up the calculator, you know, and and just uh, just does the simple math. If I tell them how expensive it is, the the, the answer is it will explode, you know. So okay, but right. this is only because you do one to one, you, whatever you have on premise, you try to run it exactly the same way on the cloud, and this is not the right approach. If we uh, dif if we do it differently, it it I don't think it is ever going to be cheaper than on premise. 
but you are, you 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 could move faster. You have other advantages. You know, this is uh, this is good for business, but uh, it's not about saving costs. And uh, the next thing is um, very very interesting one because um, I would say Kubernetes is a mall for for legacy applications. I would say like you no know, something runs all the time. We call it. From, I know there's Knative on functions, but I would say Knative and functions on Kubernetes on premise don't make any sense from my perspective because you need the hardware anyway. I mean, you know, it, it only makes sense if you are a huge hardware provider, you have a huge data center, and then you can spread the load more evenly. But uh, yes. but 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 this is not, no, this is not the, the, the of my clients have. Maybe one client and the others are smaller data centers and the smaller the data center, the less interesting is the overhead of, these are some overhead running functions they have, you know, the, the, the whole management and stuff. And um, right. yeah, and um, and uh, if you uh, what I wanted to say to, w- w- ah with the cloud. So Kubernetes, I told you, is um, uh, legacy. Why legacy? What for me cloud native means is this is the new wave. What I see is um, so in every project or a review enterprise project, in one point of time, you know, they have functionality like uh, uh, the uh, business department uploads a file. And this is like multi-part upload, so they always, you know, I see, okay, this is proprietary code in <laughs> in JAXRS because it's not a part of the standard, so it is uploaded, right. save right. some in a, in a folder. <laughs> so what happens with the folder? Then I look, you know, is it NFS or how it's shared? And then it's a and, and virus scanner involved, and then the 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 file is read again, and that's something, right? In the cloud, there such a use case is is implemented completely differently. And I had also an an, an um, discussion with cloud architects which are just spent the entire time in the clouds and they told me this is interesting that you thinking differently because um, what they would do is and this is Asia and um, AWS you would upload a file to S3 or uh, Asia file storage or blob storage I think is the name and now this service emits an event file created then you would implement a lambda with or Asia function with Java, it will get the event. Here's the file. So I mean, you can skip already one service which runs all the time, and you get the file. So and you will pay, you know, for one million files a month, nothing. So you have already the file. Then you can just decide what to do. So you can you know get the file or get the reference to the file, the URI, send it to uh, let's say SQS, which is a queue. Another lambda wakes up and does let's say a virus scan uh, or you would use a virus scan service, which is part of the cloud. So this is already done. And then you can pick the the, the, the file and write it to S3 bucket again, or whatever you like, or that database. But the point is, you have three Java methods instead of an entire service, which runs all the time. And you pay a subset of the costs, and it's way simpler and way more secure. This would, for instance, this is one, one and you know, upload an Excel to the cloud or CSV, I see it more and more coming, coming. So the difference is, in the cloud native, the future serverless is what for me is event-driven architecture. So the entire cloud emits events. So every service I know from, you know, Git repository to pipeline to uh, load balancers to EC2 machines to Fargates or to spot instances, everything emits events. And what you just do in the new world, you are listening to events and do something else with it. And we can do it absolutely with Java, but I don't see Kubernetes there. I would say I have no idea what what the place of Kubernetes in such architecture would be because uh, we don't need it, right? And 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 I see more and more such uh, use cases. And um, 
if I present the idea during, so there were last week there were the AirHacks uh, workshops, AirHacks Live workshops again, and they told me that's right. So we also have such. One guy said, okay, for years we didn't know hundreds of microservices, but this is actually the use case. So we can do it up far more simple. And this thing, for instance, we, um, for instance, all lambdas are versioned. So versioning, uh, the 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 canary is built in. We don't need load balances. We don't need nothing. And I would say, this is the future. The only thing is, people are believing that uh, Java is not right for that because of the cold start, which maybe happened once, but every subsequent cold get faster and faster because the cloud providers are remembering the Java optimizations. So what we, yeah. what we have for such calls, we already are in two milliseconds to six, milli, six milliseconds performance, which is uh, great. And we are writing an you know, old Pojo style code. So I would say for you, could be super interesting as Cumulus provider because Lambdas provide also extensions for traffic, for monitoring. So uh, focus a little bit there. And I would say there's a huge hole but because no one sees how how good Java actually is in the serverless and just combine it the right way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. This is, um, this is very interesting thinking. And um, well, um, uh, the event-driven approach is definitely something that it's coming. And uh, 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 I think there will be more and more focus on this. Uh, it is it is just a different way of thinking. And what, what would actually uh, interest me would be how to combine or how to define this architecture in the in the cloud vendor neutral way and well this this is probably something that well it will take quite a lot of time before this will be defined but eventually uh, if somebody can provide uh, abstraction layer on top of this then this could be the winner architecture for the next cloud native generation of applications. I mean, the abstraction is already say. there. Yeah. It's called cloud events. This is already the uh, uh, attempt to standardize the events. But uh, the events themselves, yeah, but yeah. not the whole architecture, you know, that you would have uh, a standardized architecture for everything. So for serverless functions, for events, for configuration, and for all the other stuff that you need to. Uh, uh, do in order to deploy a more complex application. This is true, but the architecture, this, this is the funny story is, if you know application servers, it's almost identical. You know, this is what you did for 20 it years. Is, this is like, what I told you right now is like exploded architecture server. Think about message-driven beans and um, and stateless and, and, and you, you are there. And for fun, I delivered a talk at, at a conference called Deflix it was like, uh, hey, EGB developers, you will love Lambdas or something like this. And what I did, I picked, you know, the old EGB specs and explained Lambda with it because it's almost identical. There's only one difference, but um, I was actually, and, and the developer said, this is right. This is, this is like, actually, <laughs> EGBs and Lambda are very, very similar. So I will tell you, from source code perspective, there's almost nothing to do. The entire configuration, I don't think it is worth to standardize that because the cloud providers will be always different. I just okay. noticed this opportunity for you just to think about this right now because and um, if you go to my YouTube channel and look at the recent screencast on AWS, in five minutes I developed such a function on Quarkus and you will see it's MicroProfile app. There is no difference right. to Whitefly. And uh, to integrate Cumulus to that, I would say it will take you a weekend, a proof of concept. We will definitely have a look at that. Um, and then we have is... to talk again. 
this is definitely a very interesting topic. So thank you for pointing uh, uh, this out. Yeah, certainly. And yeah, uh, I also agree with you. I also, for example, when I have some workshops or teach students or something like that, I, I also often point out that the concepts uh, are repeating themselves. Yeah. yeah. So basically the concepts that we had in the uh, Java EE and the app servers and so on, they are coming back in a little different form, but the, so this, this uh, core concepts are really similar. Yeah. What I'm doing, I'm, I'm picking the, my old Java E concepts. I don't mention them, Java E at all, and everyone thinks I'm smart. But I, I'm not <laughs> smart. I'm just trying you know, to remember what I learned 20 years ago. I said, wow, yeah, this is a good idea. I was like, yeah, uh, don't mention Java E. I said, oh, yeah, it's a cloud native. I said, okay, nice. And um, this is actually the, the, the entire trick. And um, yeah, and the, 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 the also interesting part, you know, the uh, idea of event-driven architectures, I get the questions for 10 years at least. So um, all conferences, you know, the, all the attempts with ACA or whatever just to send events back and forth, and I always ignored it completely because I say I'm not crazy. I, uh, why I should create my events first and to listen to them? A request-response call is always simpler. But in the clouds, we have the events already. So this is the huge difference. Every service already emits events, so we don't have to create them. We only have to listen to the events. And this is the major difference. And uh, so my expectation would be that it just explodes in the cloud, but for unknown reasons, uh, as you said, so many, many developers still, or developers, many companies still expect to run Kubernetes on the cloud and ignore the entire ecosystem, actually. Yeah, this is, this is often the case, yeah. Yeah, this is often the case, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, it's an interesting development, actually. It's a really interesting development which will have a profound impact on the, on the architecture of the applications because uh, following the, the architecture patterns that you have described uh, uh, results in a completely different architecture than following the way you should architect the applications for the Kubernetes. Yep. And yeah, the complexity of Kubernetes is larger and the cost of operation is higher. This is definitely true. And Kubernetes is also not truly serverless because you cannot shut it down to zero. You always pay for the control plane. So you can always ask, yes. you know, so, okay, it is, uh, even if it is sold as serverless, you always have to pay for the control plane, which is uh, problematic because uh, even if it costs 100 euro a month, you, the problem is you, you need, truth is, multiple Kubernetes clusters. What we do, for instance, in um, in cloud native uh, development, every every developer gets an own account for development. So it would mean every developer will get an own account with Kubernetes. So already we are paying one hundred euro per developer, right? So for nothing, right? Uh, which right. is problematic. Okay, perfect. So it was uh, great with you again. So we didn't cover the API gateway to all, uh, but um, to closing API gateway. What I will get. If I would use your API gateway, is it like a microprofile REST client or what, what is it now? Well, um, currently it is um, Kubernetes uh, native API gateway, which provides ah, okay. uh, uh, really tight integration with Kubernetes and uh, simplifies the configuration of uh, applications. Mm-hmm which you would like to deploy to the Kubernetes cluster without using some external services of whether a cloud vendor or of an on-premise deployment. Mm -hmm. And the motivation behind this is to um, 
deliver applications that can be deployed in exactly the same way on premise mm -hmm. or to uh, whatever cloud Kubernetes provider you choose. Okay, uh, perfect. And this is this is where you get something. Yeah. Uh, now, whether you want to go this way or go the the, the serverless and cloud functions way, the, the way you describe this, this is this is this is another question. Okay. Now, uh, perfect. Because I, I was curious to know what would be the next API gateway. Because you said you would like to move it to the clients. And then I saw, I thought, okay, then it's going to be Microsoft REST client or something like this. Uh, well, not not exactly. It's just that we move some part of the functionality so that we don't have to route each and every call through the API gateway, but still implement some of the functionalities such as authentication, rate limiting, logging, audit logging, and so on. Uh, even in service-to-service -service communication, which happens within the application, and you don't have then to route all the calls through the API gateway. So if you have several services on the back end, you know, mm -hmm. and this part of the functionality, we are moving to the REST client proxy. So we are basically extending and adding a, a, a proxy there in between in the communication uh, in order to optimize the, the communication between services and to uh, simplify the configuration and to, to to reduce the load on the actual API gateway instance. So now I got you. So why, where the listeners can find you on the internet? Uh, well, there there is our website, uh, cumulus.com. Yeah, uh, they can email us. I put put all the coordinates to the show notes as always. Great, perfect. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you, and uh, hear you and see you next time. It was a really nice discussion. Thank you very much. Goodbye.